Well, good morning, Four Corners. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Ben. Welcome. This is Lisa Fields. She leads our outreach. And in just a moment, we're going to tell you about a cool and exciting opportunity. But first, I have to brag on you guys just a little bit. Last week, we began a new message series called Money, We're Rich, and we're looking at the way that God has given us wisdom to manage the money that he's blessed us with. And then we gave an opportunity for people to sign up for Financial Peace University, which is beginning on Wednesday night, September 2nd, and it'll run for nine weeks. And 140 people between both services express interest in getting that information, that link, so they can sign through. So thank you guys very much. We're going to do our next installment in just a second. But Lisa, we said that we wanted to begin this by getting rid of any of the goofiness around giving. Because, you know, when churches talk about money, people think they want something from them. And so what we thought we would do is just get rid of that by giving people an opportunity to give just one dollar. Not $100. We're not asking people to give $1,000. We're not, you know, going after big offerings here. We thought by giving $1, we could create this kind of safe zone where everybody's vested in and that we could hear about this stuff uh, maybe a little bit more gently. So tell folks what's going on here with you while you're up here. Yeah, like I said last week, I don't know about you all, but when I'm in the seat you're in and I come in and they say, oh, it's a series about money. Um, I right away go to a place of lack of or want or need or where I want to get to. And so we thought that we would start this series last week from a place of abundance and generosity. And so we are trying a little experiment last week and this week um, along together with the high school, the middle school, the 4C kids and everyone in here. And we're asking everybody to participate. And so we're just going to ask you to give $1 as an act of generosity, as an act of saying to God, we know that we are so blessed. Um, This is a great opportunity. I know a lot of you have been talking to your kids this week. They've earned a dollar. They're bringing it in, ready to put it in the offering back in the kids space. So it's just a great opportunity to talk with your family about money um, and about how blessed we are. I mean, this series is called We're Rich. And if you think about it in a global perspective, we really are. $37,000 a year or more, if you earn that, means that you're in the top 4% of the wealthiest people in the world. Um, Something I always tell my kids, we are so blessed that we get to flush clean water down our toilets. I mean, if you think about <laughs> it like true. that, it's crazy. That. Yeah. So really when they say, mom, are we rich? I'm like, yes, actually we are if we sit down and look at it. So it's just a great opportunity for us to come together, give a buck, and then next week you want to come back next Sunday because we're going to show you the impact that your money had here on um, some really great folks. So. so Lisa, we're asking people to do this a couple different ways. They can grab that envelope, put a dollar in, and again, look, if you don't want to, don't. If, if, you know, if that bothers you, just don't do it. But we're trying to create this safe place to have a conversation that can be pretty emotional. So they can use the offering bucket right. uh, and the envelope. But the other way is, is they can use their cell phone. And uh, what we're trying to do here is get people comfortable with the primary way that this church receives money. More people give electronically than any yeah. other way. And so this kind of helps us yeah, move forward in that. Yeah, this is super easy. We all walk around with these. And I did it for the first time last week with a lot of you. And it was super simple. All you need to do is get out your phone. And we're asking that right now, dig in your purse, find those quarters until it makes a dollar. Um, <laughs> grab your phone right now. It's okay to get your phone out, turn it on. Um, go to your text, create a new text, and then all you need to do is place in the number that you see here, 513-806-2724, and then in the place where you would normally text your friend or type it in there, just type in 1.00 and hit send. And then what will happen is you'll get a link, if you've never texted Four Corners before, you'll get a link where will just ask for your name, 
and then it links it um, to like a credit or debit card um, and so that'll take just a couple minutes to fill that out again if that's too many steps for you make sure you grab your offering envelope stick your change or your dollar in there and just indicate that it's for the dollar club on the now we're going to take all this money we're going to do something special with it they're going to find out about it last week but one more time our heart on this really is let's create a safe place these handful of weeks to talk about money because we don't want anybody to think we're after their right. wallets when let me just be clear what we're really after we're after your heart uh, we want to talk to you about heart issues right. so i'm really excited to see what we're going to do it's going to be a big difference i'll see you it? all next week uh, sounds great <laughs> thanks lisa hey um Last week, 140 of you guys signing up for FPU, um, which is Financial Peace University. This is the Dave Ramsey program. That's pretty incredible. It made me think that we probably struck a chord that we have some work to do. And so what I want to do is just kind of give you some cover. Um, Jill and I have been married just uh, 25 years or so. I think, is it 25, honey? We're 25 years uh, in our marriage, that's where we are, uh, which is incredible. We've made a lot of mistakes, but what I did is I got online last uh, week to dis discover some major financial mistakes. So let me just uh, share a couple of these with you. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Ron Wayne, Ron Wayne, and he is known as making a huge financial mistake. In 1976, he joined with two other people by the names of Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, and they together started a company called Apple. You guys have heard of this? And Ron Wayne had a, a, a set of shares um, in the company. He put some money up. But in 1976, he sold his shares for $800, and he wanted out. He wasn't sure where things were going to go. Today, his shares would be worth $53 billion. Um, that was a mistake, all right? Then there was a guy by the name of Reed Hastings, and he had a membership to a video company called Blockbuster. And one day he took a video back to Blockbuster. He was late, and he was slapped with all kinds of late fees. He was very frustrated by this, so he thought there has to be a way for us to rent videos without all these late fees. And he came up with an idea that became known as Netflix. And Netflix took off very, very slowly. But the big giant company that was still looming in the video market was Blockbuster. So he goes, Reed goes to John Antiaco, the uh, leader of Blockbuster, and he offers to sell the young company Netflix to Blockbuster for $50 million. And so Blockbuster laughed in his face and said, no way, we're the big dogs on the block. Later on, Blockbuster decided to sink $1 billion into an uh, electronics company known as Circuit City. And there's some major changes here. Today, the offer of $50 million to buy Netflix uh, into Blockbuster, that Netflix company today is worth $28 billion. These are major financial mistakes. So if you're feeling today like maybe you got some room for growth, feel better about yourself. <laughs> feel better about yourself today. It's why I watch reality TV. It just makes me feel good about me as I watch everybody else's stuff. Now, there are a lot of reasons why people have financial troubles. Um, we, I, I couldn't even list them all, but I want to talk about two, and then I want to show you something on the board um, just as, as a way of us kind of drilling down, because what I don't want to do is just motivate you. That's not my goal. I don't want to just motivate you. I want us to, to get motivated as we look at God's Word and God's heart on money. We talked a lot about that last week, God's heart on money. I want us to get motivated, yes, but then I want us to take some steps. I want to show you how important that is. Now, there are a lot of 
challenges around money, but there are two things, I think at least, that we need to address in the room if we're going to get there. So there are a lot of possibilities for money problems. And here's, here's two, two big possibilities for money problems. First one, uh, let me just call it this, and we'll, then we'll describe it, but it would be bad hearts. Bad hearts would be one reason that people have money problems. What I mean by this is I'm just trying to track along with what Jesus had to say about money, that where our treasure is, our hearts will be there also. Whatever we deeply value, that's what we, uh, and, and where we're spending our money and time, that's what we value in our hearts. So when I use the phrase bad hearts, I don't mean bad through and through. I mean there are, potentially at least, pockets in your heart and mine that cause me to look at money and stuff in such a way that that value that I have actually creates problems for me. The value I have for money and stuff creates problems in here, like as a value statement, almost as a moral thing. And the challenge is, is in our world, nobody challenges people to think about their value for money. We assume that money is great, more money is better, and we all know that money can create problems, but we're never really challenged to think deeply about what's going on in our own hearts. We can see greed all around us. I mean, there isn't many weeks that go by that somebody doesn't make a money-based decision that gets them in trouble. Almost every week in the news, you can see that. You see, some family has a major fight in some company, and so at the root of it was some kind of greed or, or desire for more control. At the root of that often is, is money. Or somebody robs somebody else, somebody gets hurt in a crime, and at the root of it, somebody was trying to get somebody else's money. But as a culture, we see these things, but we don't talk deeply about our own hearts and what might be going down inside of us. And so if we're going to be free, if we're going to experience peace, if we're going to walk the path that God wants for us as followers of Jesus, one of the things we have to confront is, what's going on in my heart? What's going on in my heart, really, as I think about stuff and money? Stuff and money. And I use the word stuff to talk about all the stuff that we think money can give us. Right? It's, it's our accumulated things. The things we have in our closets. The things we have in our garages. The things we have at, you know, at our vacation place. Or nothing wrong with those things. They're, they're not a moral statement. But out of our hearts, we've applied a certain value. And those values need to be investigated. That's kind of what we're doing today. Bad hearts. Let me tell you what the Proverbs has to say. The, or I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 6 has to say about our hearts. So Paul's writing to this young pastor and he says, listen, here's what you got to do when it comes to heart issues and money. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So Paul's writing to this young pastor and he says, look, the truth is that some of us, and we don't realize it, we don't call it, we see it in others, we have our time seeing it, but we love money and we love the stuff money can give us, or at least what we think it can give us. And because of that, it has caused all kinds of problems. For some people, it has shipwrecked their faith. For some people, if you can imagine, um, the, the metaphor user is that it's pierced their lives. The idea is arrows coming through and it leaves them broken and bleeding, all because of this thing with money going on the inside. So Paul strongly encourages Timothy, make sure you regularly warn believers, be careful with money. Just be careful with it. It's, you know, it's, it's like a hot stove. You're careful with that. You know, it's, it's like a loaded gun. You're careful with it. 
You're just careful with it. So bad hearts. Now, I can't see your heart, but what I want us to do is just acknowledge for a moment that it's possible that there may have been along your life's journey places where you picked up values about money that maybe you've never investigated. And perhaps that set of values that you've picked up along the way is making an impact even today on the way you think about and handle money and how money influences the other stuff in our lives. Here's the other reason that I think there are a lot of money problems in existence, maybe in our room or in our community. So there's bad hearts, here's the other one, bad thinking. So values and maybe skills. Values and understanding. Just some bad thinking. For some of us, nobody ever trained us how to understand basic money. And we kind of get it. You need more money in than you are obligated to spend out. We get that. But then our culture has given us an opportunity to never even confront that fact by giving us an easy access to debt. Easy access to pay for things with money we don't have. And so even though we know you need more money in than you spend out, our culture has given us an opportunity to not confront that. And so we think, our thinking patterns are, well, if I really, really, really want it, really, then I can go get it. And I know this because I've done it. I know this because I've talked to many of you. You've done it too. And we don't stop and think the basic math. If I don't have enough money, I might not should get it. So bad thinking. Some of us, we have basic rudimentary understanding, but there are some advanced understandings about money that if we had them, money would actually be for us more of a blessing. So let me, let me share with you what the Bible has to say about thinking. All right? Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 21.30. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Here's what they're saying. The writer of the Proverbs is saying that to have an understanding, to have wisdom is like a treasure, or it's like oil. Oil is very precious then. It was used in everyday life. It was used in religious ceremony. It was used in the home. Oil was special. It was treasure. And if you had wisdom, it was like having that. But foolish people, they swallow up everything that they have. They swallow up their treasure. They don't use their oil wisely. We might say it this way, that a fool and his money are easily or soon departed. A fool and his money are easily or soon departed. Now, bad thinking, no matter how much you have coming in, bad thinking will cause that money coming in to not go as far as it could go. And I want to remind you God's heart on money right now. God's heart is that money would be for you See if these words apply to you and your family. A source of peace, a source of joy, a source of blessing. So just think about that for a moment. Is money in your home, in your life, a source of peace, joy, and blessing? Or are they what is often the thing I hear? Contention, arguments, secrets, pain, frustration. And that's why God has given us, in the pages of his word, a basic outline for money. And over these last week, this week, and the next two, we're just kind of exploring that because I don't want anybody to leave without an opportunity to think about what's going on inside of here. All right? And what's going on up here as it relates to money. Now, now I have to, just before I jump into something really, really exciting to help you with, I, I have to be honest and say that there is a dynamic at work in our culture and it has filtered into individual families and marriages 
And I want to introduce you to a concept. And when I do this, what I'm not trying to do, let me make it clear, I'm not trying to pour guilt on anyone, but I just want to acknowledge something, kind of a, an elephant in the room when you talk about this, is that in many marriages, the real struggles, the real fight, really, is about money. Top three issue causing conflict in marriages. Money. And for some people in this room, you know the devastating effects of money done badly and how that impacts the relationship. You don't have to raise your hand, but psychologists are starting to, to, to discover and to understand this thing that is being called financial infidelity. Financial infidelity. This is what happens when there is a broken trust between a husband and a wife because there's some hidden money stuff going on. And in a room this size, without a doubt, it's happening in our congregation where there is a hidden credit card or hidden expenses or a hidden account. And the idea is, is that as long as the other person doesn't find out and I kind of manage it, it's largely okay. And what psychologists are discovering, I'm not even talking about the financial guys who would tell you how devastating that is for a long-term goal. What psychologists and counselors are discovering is, is that financial infidelity is having a similar impact on marriages that sexual infidelity is having. Because at the root of it is a broken trust. Now what I have to wrestle with as a pastor is, is how do we help people have healthy relationships the way God wants them to, and at the core of every healthy relationship is a basic honesty and trust. I'm going to be disclosing to you. You're going to be disclosing to me. That's going to give us a platform of trust. And yet with money, because the way our culture is wired, it's very easy for somebody in the marriage to get a credit card that the other one doesn't know, and there's no interest for 90 days, six months, a year, so they run it up, and with every intention, they plan to pay it off. And maybe some do. But whether they paid it off or not and the tension ever rises to the surface, there is a brokenness in the relationship. So let me be honest with you. My heart on talking about money has very little to do with how much you give to this church. That's a separate, se separate con uh, conversation. My heart is, is I want you to thrive. I don't want you to approach your marriage having to hide I don't want you afraid of digging into financial stuff as I'm going to start challenging you to do here in about two minutes. And you know deep down you can't afford to have these conversations because if you do, here's what's going to happen. This secret thing over here is about to be exposed. Some of you know you should do financial peace. You check the box, but you won't go through it because you're hiding something from your spouse. Now, if I thought this was just two people, I wouldn't bring it to all of us. My gut is, and the experts say, that there's a good percentage of us in this room where all the data about the family's financial situation isn't known by everyone. And I'm not talking about a, an arrangement where you say, hey, I trust you, you're good, you kind of manage the details, just generally keep me informed. That would be an acceptable way for somebody to be somewhat uninformed. I'm talking about a strategic move to keep information from coming to somebody else in the marriage because you don't want them to know what you're up to. And so today, I want to challenge you to think about that. If that's what's going on at all, if you're afraid that the data's going to come out, let me just tell you where that's going to end. That's going to end not just in you keeping 
conflict from coming to the surface. That's the immediate reward. Conflict may not come to the surface. But what will really happen here is, is you are already beginning to disintegrate the very thing that the marriage is supposed to be built upon. Trust and mutual respect. And so God comes to you and he says, don't do that. Let's get it all on the table and so that we can face wherever we are as a family and be stronger. Now, I want it to be that clear because what I don't want to have happen is for all this motivation to occur and all this vision of what can be, but then when you get ready to take your first steps, you're stuck because you've got a secret to hide. So what I want to show you right now is something that was introduced to me um, by, a, by a consultant uh, talking about church work. Um, it, it didn't come out of the church world, though. It came out of the business world. It's called the change equation. My hunch is most of us in the room have a certain dynamic in our finances, and we would like to change it. So what the change equation is, it was a group of graduate-level MBA professors, three of them, two together, and then one later revised it, got together and they said, we've investigated what it takes for people to change. We've investigated that. And we think that there's a handful of dynamics that every change that was navigated well includes. And if these dynamics aren't present, the change tends not to happen. And so the consultant I hired to come in and talk a little bit about us at church, he said, you know, you're pressing, you're talking, but the change isn't happening at the rate you would like it to happen, and you're not getting all the fruit of it you would like to get. So what, let me explain to you what's really going on and see if we can't discover some stuff out of this. I said, that's awesome. Where did you get this? He said, well, back in the 1970s, Boeing hired a couple of MBA professors from some really prestigious schools and said, help us understand that while we set goals... Our goals don't transmit all the way down our organization, and we don't really see the change that we would like to see. So they walk them through this change equation, and it goes something like this, all right? And by the way, this is, this is biblical, because what we don't want to have happen is for people to have great motivation and then be unable to make the change. That would be like Proverbs 13, 12, that says this phrase. Maybe you've heard it in another context. That hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a, desired, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. The idea here is, is if I just motivate you, but we can't actually move forward, eventually you're going to give up. You're going to get frustrated. And that's not God's heart for you. We have some work to do in the room, I bet. And in order to do it, we've got to stay on task and discover what it is that's keeping us from doing the healthy thing for us. I want to give you a clear vision because Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 says this, that where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. The idea is if I don't have a clear goal of where I'm going, if I don't think I can get there, it's real easy for me not to discipline myself to get there. If I don't even think it's all that attainable. So what I want us to do is I want to come down to the end of the process and I want us to have what I would call a Habakkuk kind of experience. Now Habakkuk was a prophet in the Old Testament and God's trying to give him a specific plan because he's got a lot of feelings, but he doesn't have a plan. He's got a lot of hopes, but he doesn't have a plan. So God comes to the prophet Habakkuk in your Old Testament in chapter 2, verse 2, and he says these words, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. We're going to write this down so it speeds up our progress. 
We're actually going to put it on paper. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, in our finances, Ben, we're fighting a lot because we can't get on the same page. And here's what I've learned to say. Hey, show me the page. Just show me the page. What page are we getting on? Show me the page. And guess what often happens? There isn't a page. He had a page that he was on. She had a page she was on. But there was no shared page. That's what we're going to fix here in just a moment. So let me share with you the change equation. Here's how it goes. Um, in, in science, in the business world, they use the symbol of a triangle or delta to represent change, all right? So change happens in your life, in your business, in your church, in your finances, when a couple of forces are going on. The first one is, we'll call it D. D stands for dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. Change, first of all, begins when there's a little dissatisfaction. Somebody's not happy with where we are. And this is an important part of the scenario. So let me just ask you, you don't have to raise your hand. Are you fully happy with where you are financially? Because if you are, you're going to have a hard time taking any steps. And so some people are happy, but they're ignorant. So they're happy, but they don't know their situation. And in order to stay happy, they have to stay ignorant. So they don't ever engage the real stuff that's going on with their money. The truth is they don't know where they are. But they're happy. And so ignorance to them becomes bliss. And I have an uncle who used to say this, Ben, if ignorance were bliss, you would be the world's biggest blister. <laughs> right? So ignorance can bring happiness, but ignorance doesn't bring peace. Ignorance doesn't bring deep joy. Ignorance doesn't cause a family to walk in harmony. So the first step is knowing, and often when people discover where they are, there is a sense of dissatisfaction, and that's actually a good thing. Most change happens when somebody says, I don't really like where we are. I'm not really happy with this. And that's not a fun feeling. Now remember, in our hearts, in our culture, we value fun. We value laughter. We value all the things that make us feel great, and that's all fine. But God uses dissatisfaction to cause us to ask deeper questions, to get our attention. And so we try sometimes to cover this. A little more spending, a little tweak here, a little confession. Though I got over that, that crisis. But deep down, dissatisfaction is a key to the change. But that's, that's not all. I've already referenced a couple of these things. Dissatisfaction multiplied against. It's not enough to just be dissatisfied. You have to have a V or a vision of where you want to go. I'm dissatisfied. I'm unhappy. But I don't know what I need. I don't know what I want. So you'll get a certain amount of momentum. But until you get a clear picture, this is what God was trying to say to the prophet Habakkuk. Let's get you a clear enough vision so we can actually write something down. So there actually is the beginnings of a plan. Because without this, we're just shooting in the dark. We're dealing only with our negative emotions. And we'll run enough energy till we get this satisfied, but we may or may not have ever moved in the right direction. So these consultants said, Ben, sometimes in your church, you're really good at reminding people what's not working. But sometimes we have to have a very clear vision of where we're going. That, that made sense to me. But it applies to finances too. Where do you guys, husband, single person, where do you want to be with your finances? High school kid, where do you want to actually be? You just want more money. Awesome. 
Good. That's the beginning. Now let's flesh that out some and let's apply what the Lord said to the prophet. Let's start writing some of that down. Here's where I would like to be. That would be vision. Now, now here, here's, here's something really cool. Christians or churches are very good at these two things. We're very good at making people feel guilty. <laughs> very, very good. I mean, you're here because you love the Lord to some degree. And churches are very good at appropriately and sometimes inappropriately leveraging that desire to honor God and making people think deeply about stuff and raising dissatisfaction. And churches, some better than others, are very good at giving people a vision of where we want to go. We talked last week all about what is God's heart? What's his vision for you with money? He wants to meet your needs, some of your wants, and he wants to fund, he wants to fund the dream of your life. He wants you to be able to do the thing he put in your heart to ultimately do. That's, and we're going to unpack that more in, in a week or so. But I'm going to tell you something, that these two things together alone are not sufficient for most people to change. You are very good in your marriage of raising the dissatisfaction level. I'm just not happy about this. Or you're very good about the vision piece. This is easier. We all know when we're unhappy. This is a little harder. What's it going to take for us to be happy? Really, what's that going to look like? But again, alone, so here's what, the, here's what the, um, the consultants say. And again, there's biblical principle. This is more applied theology than it is extracting straight from a text, all right? So they say then that there's another missing component. And, and they represent it with the, with the letter F, or first steps. Dissatisfaction times a vision multiplied against some first steps. Let's talk about what first steps are. The idea here is, is that you could talk about it all you want. You can write a plan down. But if we don't actually take a step, nothing changes. And the challenge isn't that we don't want to take a, a step. We've dealt with the desire here. we got all the desire in the world. We don't know which first steps to take. We don't know what to do right now to begin moving the ball down the field. So this is first steps in the right direction towards the goal. And sometimes we need a little help with this. What right now, if you wanted to do better financially, what would you do right now when you get up from this church and you go have lunch and then you go home? What would you do? That's why we're offering Financial Peace University. So that you don't just get stirred. You don't just get a vision. You actually leave with some first steps in the right direction. And then, and then... The, the consultants say, if all of this is happening, change will happen. And then the last little diagram is all of these things added together is greater than, remember, alligator eats the bigger number, greater than the resistance, the natural resistance. Because here's the thing, when it comes to change, most of us struggle. In fact, let, let me make something clear. I actually love change. But let me make it clear the kind of change I love. It's the same kind of change you love. When I initiate change... I love it. When you initiate change for me, I don't like it. Your kids love change, the change they bring. Your spouse loves change, the change he or she brings. You love change, the change you bring. Nobody likes the change anybody else is imposing on them. No one. So none of us like change unless we're driving the ship. Then we love to turn the wheel. It's okay. The problem is, if we're going to change our finances, there's a natural resistance we have to overcome. Now, here's the challenge. If any of you guys know math enough to know that if any of these values are approaching zero, 
It nullifies it all. If there's not some dissatisfaction, some clarity of where we're going, and some first steps, if any of these values are zero, all of this nullifies. So we have to have some north of zero value for each of these. My gut says that for most of us, the vision piece of where we're going and taking some clear first steps would be dramatic in helping us. So let me give you three steps in the right direction. All right? Three F's, if you will. Here it is, number one. Let's determine how much we really owe. How much consumer debt outside of your home mortgage? We're going to put that on the shelf for just a minute. Outside of your, how much do you really owe? What's the real picture? Now, some of you kind of know, but here's what I've discovered. If you actually pulled all that data and put it in one place at one time on a piece of paper, that number is usually higher than most people realize in their conscious mind. So the first thing in terms of getting steps in the right direction is, how much do I actually owe? Now be careful with this, because to do it, you're going to have to be transparent about the secret fund, the secret credit card. So be careful. But if you don't do this, you're likely not to move in the right direction. How much do I really owe? Get it all in one place. Number two, discover. Where is my money really going? So I asked you to last week, spy on your money for 30 days. 30 days, every penny, where did it really go? You'd be surprised what you're really spending your money on. Here's the thing. You think you're spending it on this, but there's a leak over here and it's going over here really. And I'll just pick on some obvious. There's the cable bill you pay. That, that's not cheap. There's the lattes you buy. That's not cheap. There are um, all sorts of habits we're funding that aren't inexpensive. There's a lot of places money goes that we don't realize. Now, I have found in my house, if I leave change setting out, it disappears in the air. It just goes. I don't know where it goes, all right? So you've got to discover where your money's really going. But here's the challenge. I'm going to show you one more thing on our board. When you do this, if you're here, this circle represents where you are, I'm here, and you want to get here, which is there, that's the place you're going, all right? You're here, you want to get there. We all know we got to do something different. I mean, you know that. You know you can't do the same thing over and over and expect to get any real different results. Something's got to shift. So to get from here to there, here's what we don't realize. There is actually, if you let this represent, a tunnel. You enter here, you want to exit there, the place you want to be. Now, now psychologists talk about this dynamic where, we're, where we are, but we want to get to someplace else. You see it all through the scriptures and the stories of the Bible. The idea here is that you've got to pass through the tunnel of chaos. The tunnel of chaos. You may not have ever heard this term, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, I want to do something, I'm going to take a step. Oh, that wasn't so hard. But now you look ahead and you go, oh my goodness, this tunnel is dark. And I think I see a light at the other end, but I don't really know what's between where I am right now that I've started and the very end. And there is an emotional, ugh. You start digging into your finances and it's a little worse than you thought it was. And it creates a, ugh. Oh, I don't know if I really want to. I just, ignorance is bliss. Or you start digging into your finances and you got to be transparent about what you are, where you really are and how you're spending money. And you don't really want to do that because you've been managing this thing on the side. And it's, oh, 
Now I not only have to deal with money, now i got to deal with the trust issue in my marriage. And I already feel shaky about that. And I'm, I'm covered with shame and performance issues anyway, so I can't really be transparent about my own failure. And it creates this tunnel of chaos. But the challenge is, is no real change in life has ever happened that you didn't walk through the tunnel of chaos. Where the first few steps felt awesome because you started, but the next eight or nine are just, here's the word we don't like, hard. They're just hard. But that's how you get from here to there. You walk through hard. You walk through hard. A year ago or so, and I hate to admit this, I'm just embarrassed, you know, I lost uh, 45 pounds. And then I went through a, a year that was just rough, and guess what? I've discovered that a cheeseburger will love you when nobody else will. <laughs> it's amazing how much a cheeseburger will love you. You know, puppies and cheeseburgers, that's how I, that's how I get through my day. And so I just eat, eat, eat. Well, here's the thing. When I first started, I was here. I had to walk, and I was so excited. But it just got hard here. And so you know what I did? I went back to here. Because I kind of knew that that tunnel ended on that terminal point over there. At least I know that thing. And I'm not consciously doing this. My emotions are steering me. And money is emotional. So I'm walking. I'm just, oh, ooh, it's dark. That's dark. What's a, what's a, I hear noises. I don't know what that is. It's uncomfortable. And this is why most of us, no matter what it is, money, food, dieting, sexual appetite, whatever, the tunnel of chaos explains why we start and don't complete. And so for all of us who've walked through or are about to walk through the tunnel of chaos, the Lord gives us a really powerful verse. Psalm 37, 33. Look at these words. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Oh, I love that. The Lord makes the steps firm. The idea is that they're sure. They're stable. They're not shaky. They're not riddled with self-doubt. And even if they are riddled with self-doubt, for the follower of Jesus, we know that God has a plan for us. And the Bible says it this way, that the steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. That's another way of saying this exact same verse. That God directs us through the tunnel of chaos. We, 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 we're not happy. We got a vision. Now we got to walk it out. Because if we don't walk it out, the truth is we're just either unhappy or we're motivated by a vision. But nothing really changes. Which means if you sign up for something like financial peace, you actually have to go. You actually have to buy the workbook and work through it. You actually have to make an investment in yourself, as uncomfortable as it is. I'm talking about money now, but we could apply this across the spectrum of your spiritual life. If you're ignorant, largely, of the biblical story and theology, you're going to have to make an investment of time and energy into discovering it. If parenting issues are a challenge, you have to make an investment to discover where we are and move forward. Get a vision for what you need and then actually take the steps. So I said there were three steps in the right direction. Determine how much I really owe. That would be helpful for a lot of us. Determine where my money's really going. And here's the third one. And I, and I want to pause here for just a second. I think that we can ask God to empower you by his spirit to do the hard work before you. That is to rely on this verse. God, you said 
that if I follow you, if I'm attempting to live the, the life you put in front of me, that you would order my steps. You would make my steps firm. And I'm going to trust that. I'm going to trust that no matter what I'm feeling in here, you're actually laying before me a path. And it might be dark in the tunnel. It might be scary in the tunnel. I might want to turn around and run back to the beginning. But I'm going to trust you. Because your word says you will never leave me for, or forsake me. That your heart for me is always good. You only want the best for me. And I know the way that we've been managing money in our home is not the best. And we're going to get to the best that you have because we want the joy, the peace, the contentment, the sense of purpose that you've offered us. And that hasn't been our reality, so we're very dissatisfied. But we're getting a picture of what you want with greater clarity. And now is the time. So we're going to take these steps, and here's the thing, we will not turn back. Jesus was talking about this principle one day when he looked out and he said, he wanted workers who would put their hand to the plow and not turn around. Now, we don't have that farming analogy alive in our culture anymore, but the idea was the farmer grabs the plow, the oxen is pulling it, and you've got to make a straight row. And the way you make a straight row is you don't look down, because that's not straight, you only are straight by your sense. What you do is you look ahead, you, maybe you discover a tree or a rock or a marker, and you walk towards the thing. And when you do that, you make a straight row. But if you're looking down, or if you're looking around, it's very hard to make a straight row. So Jesus said he wanted workers that would put their hand to the plow and not look back. That's what we have an opportunity to do with money, no matter where you're starting from. And I actually feel like God's Holy Spirit would like to help us a bit. I don't think God wants to rain down money from the sky for you. I don't think he wants to have your rich uncle die and leave you money or this church to bail you out by writing you a check. I think he actually wants to take you through the tunnel. Because in the tunnel, you learn to depend on him at a level you haven't before. And he's not really interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. And that's why he wants you to deal with your money. Because he knows that money stuff gets to our fears, our insecurities, our deepest trust issues are in here. And if we can trust him to follow his plan, what we've actually done is we've grown spiritually. And that's really what he wants for you. But I try to be truth in advertising. It will be hard. So I want to share with you a verse that I've been praying, and it doesn't immediately apply to money, but I think the broader principle is here. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet by the name of Joel. And Joel um, talked about the day when God's spirit, when God's movement, when God's agenda would advance dramatically. He said, there's going to come a day, guys, we don't know it yet, we don't know when, but there's going to come a day when God is going to be crystal clear about what he wants for humanity. Now, theologians have unpacked Joel's ideas, and they say that, that that begins when Jesus came and God begins to make clear the plan of salvation. A perfect sacrifice, dies on the cross, resurrected, and because of that, we can have life with God. But it doesn't end with the resurrection. God sends his Holy Spirit when Jesus leaves the earth, and his Holy Spirit then comes upon all flesh. Jesus could only be a few places at once. But the Holy Spirit is available to everybody, whoever will. And God's Spirit then that resides in every follower of Jesus begins to motivate and prompt. And while I was talking, some of you felt stirred a bit and you thought it was just you. But really, just so you know, that's the Holy Spirit. Prompting, calling, urging. 
Sometimes the Holy Spirit works through conviction. That feels an awful lot like this. Sometimes he works through what we would call convincing. That feels a whole lot that we need to do this. But he also gives wisdom to know what steps to take. And that wisdom comes in a variety of forms. And in, in our church, for financial stuff right now, it's coming in the form of financial peace. Or maybe the classes here, or some honest conversations you're having with people who are further down the road. So Joel, the prophet, is thinking about this time. He's seeing a vision of when God's spirit is at work and people are participating. And it's beginning to have a dramatic effect on people. Like the spirit of God, what we call the Holy Spirit, is moving in the lives of God's people. What's that going to look like? So Joel chapter 2, verse 28, here's what he says. And it shall come to pass afterward, so like when this thing begins, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then look at the various places of life that it touches. By the way, not a few people, not those that are smart, not the men, not, you know, not just people with the right bloodline, not people who know a lot, but all flesh. And then it says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And, and indicated they're going to speak the truth with boldness. Not just like tell the future. Prophecy very rarely in the Bible is telling the future. It's occasional, about 20% of the time. It's often speaking the truth with boldness. I know the truth. That's a prophetic word. So sons and daughters, this is like kids. Not just you who care, but this stuff's going to be transmitted down a generation. When God's spirit is free to work. Your kids are going to be impacted. They're going to speak the truth boldly. Let me, let me just ask you, parents, wouldn't you love it if your kids would speak the truth boldly against the lies of the culture in their own heads? I'm not even talking about to their friends. I mean, in their own heads, they just knew it. When God's spirit is fully released and empowered, that's what happens. And then it says, your old men shall dream dreams. I love this image. That, that they're still dreaming about what can be. They haven't given up on life. There isn't too much time hasn't gone, but older people are still dreaming about what God can do and what he wants to do. And your young men shall see visions. So here's the way I thought about this. And when it comes to money or really anywhere you are with the Lord, you're never too old to dream. Some of you think, I'm too far gone. Let me just tell you about the power of the Holy Spirit. It says this, you are never too old to dream. There is never too much water under the bridge. You are never too old to dream. And you're never too young to start. Your young men will get visions of what can be. You're never too young. You're in high school. You're not too young to start this. You are in a perfect place to engage us. I'm going to encourage my 20-something and my 16-year-old to take financial peace. Because they're never too young to start to do this right. You're never too old to dream. You're never too young to start. And you're never too far gone to God, for God to reach deeply into your family. Never. So if you've tried the money thing before, if you're scared to death of chaos, if it's an ugly mess, God's word for you is, is that you and he together, you can do this. You can make sense out of the chaos. You can walk through this. You can get from here to there. If you need a little motivation, pray and say, God, we've messed up our finances, but the truth is, is I don't even really care. I'm able to go through this if, it's, if it doesn't matter. And I only feel conviction when Ben's talking. Other than that, I just shut it out. Ask God's spirit to say, God, would you convict me about where we've been? And I haven't been a very good manager of the stuff you've given me. 
Or, God, all I think about is the bad stuff. I need a good sense of hope. Lord, Lord, would you have your spirit, would you by your spirit help me to get a vision for what can be? I need to dream a little bit that we're not too far gone. I've been hopeless. Hope deferred makes the heart grow faint. God, would you help me? Or, for many of us, I think this is where a lot of us are parked. God, I have been here, and I have been here, but the truth is I haven't done this long enough. I haven't taken enough first steps in the right direction. I got scared in the tunnel, and I turned back. I don't want to do that again. God, would you give me boldness by your Spirit? Because you're never too old to dream. You're never too young to start. And you're never too far gone for God to reach your family. See, it's not about money. It's about the Lord's heart for you. And as a church, we just want to help you. I just want you to be free. I want all that God has for you to be yours. And until we deal with this idol of money in our culture, it's not going to happen. And I can't fix America. And I can't fix your house. I can fix mine. And I can encourage you. And you can do the same. You can fix yours. You can fix yours. And God will help you do it. So let's take out our connect cards and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. I am so excited. About 140 people last week saying, send me the stuff. And then the email went out and there's a click-through link. And I know already there's some questions about here and why. We're going to help you with childcare. If you honestly feel like you can't afford it, we have a pathway to help make that possible. We're going to help you. You just have to be transparent about where you are. Some of us are ready and we're poised. So September 2nd, you're going to show up. You're going to follow that link all the way through that we sent you. But right now, I want us to take a few steps together. I've been talking all around this, but the truth is the most important decision you can make is today making Jesus your Savior and Lord. The very God who has this heart for you to bring you joy and peace and contentment. The reason he, he, he has all that is, is he wants a relationship with you. And it breaks his heart when his kids are troubled when they're confused and discouraged. So he sent and dealt with the ultimate problem, which is a sin problem, by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross and be resurrected from the tomb. And because of that, we can put our faith and trust in Jesus and have a relationship with God, not based on anything we do, but because he loved us. Around here, we ask you to take that pen we gave you and check next step A if that's what you want to do. Begin a relationship with Jesus. And you're not joining our church when you do that. You're not signing up to give money. We just want to use that card as a vehicle to send you information so your name and email are legible. And we'd ask you to take that card, put it in the offering bucket at the end of our service when the offering buckets come around. You'll get an email. In a moment, I'm going to pray and ask you to talk to God for a minute. And say, God, I'm a sinner. I, I need a Savior. I'm ready to let Jesus be the leader of my life. Or next step B for us says that today I'm choosing to be baptized. If you've not yet gone public with your faith, you can check that box. Somebody will be in touch with you. We'll answer your questions. We'll help you go public in your, and celebrate with you that you are in a relationship with Jesus. And you have a family here that will encourage you. Here's next step C. It says, and so if you've done it, you don't have to do it again. If you didn't get the email, feel free to check it again. Make sure we can read your email, all right? Here's what it says. Send me the link to sign up for Financial Peace University. Just as a point of clarification, if you checked this last week and you did not receive the email, make sure that on the top of the card you check new information, new information, just so they verify your email, all right, just as a way of flagging that. 
but we'll send you the link and then you can sign through. You take your steps, all right? Here's next step D. I talked about it, but it says, I'll spy on my money for the next 30 days. So you just literally get out a piece of paper. Today I spent $5 on a latte. Today I spent, you know, $3 on this. And we went to dinner and we spent $85 or whatever. And just for 30 days, you can use your, your bank statements to do that, but pay attention where every penny goes. Here's next step E. I'll be having some honest conversations this week. Pray with me as I pass through the tunnel of chaos. I believe that God would like to not only free your money, I think he'd like to free your marriage. So if there is some financial dishonesty in your marriage, how about this week? You just go at it. And if you guys get stuck, you email me. Ben at Four Corners Church, and I'll get you some help. But keeping deception under the radar is not going to help you be free the way God wants you to be free. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, I don't know how all that we've talked about strikes everybody. My gut, my, my gut says that your spirit is at work drawing and wooing people. And if that's true, the other thing is also true, that there's an enemy speaking lies and discouragement and fear. And so, God, I ask that by your spirit, you would overpower that. And we would trust your word that you will, in fact, make our steps firm. I want to pray for that man and wife today, God, that their marriage would be strengthened as they deal with money, that arguments would begin to dwindle, honest and respectful conversa conversations would begin to rise. God, I pray that this church would be a beacon here in North Cincinnati of what it is to experience peace and joy and contentment with money the way you meant it to be. That it would meet our needs and some of our wants and that God, ultimately, we'd be thinking about the big picture of what you really want to do with our money. Lord, I lift up those that are declaring today, Jesus, be my Savior. Wash away my sins. I want to follow you with my life. God, I pray for every person that's going to be taking financial peace. I pray for freedom. I pray for joy. I pray for peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, the strong and holy Son of God, amen and amen.